Welcome to the 2015 National Features and Documentary Series, where we showcase superb new features made by community radio producers around Australia. Over the next half an hour, we will visit the South Australian Outback. Lisa Burns talks to preacher Julia Warren and others connected to the small community of Udnadatta about spirituality and the importance of the town's open-air church. I had no audience when I first started off preaching, only just me and my dog, and his name was Trinity. And then the missionaries heard about it and they stopped us, speaking our own language. It's loneliness without really being lonely, I think. Udnadatta is a hot, dusty bush town, deep in the South Australian outback. Its name comes from an undiggity word, meaning mulga blossom, and it's a place that grew out of the old railways. The trains don't come anymore, but it's still home to the 300 or so mostly Aboriginal people who live there. My name's Julia, and I'm recently been married. I got four girls and two boys and four grandchildren. My father comes from Fink, Northern Territory. My mother comes from Unadatta. My grandmother comes from Unadatta. I speak in Andigiri and English. Yeah, Andigiri is mixed up with Pinjara and and Yanguinjara. So it's sort of like, yeah, I wish I had more. <laughs> There's a lot of languages out there. So, but yeah, I just mainly I speak in English. I preach in English and and a lot of you know, a lot of ministers say, You're an Aboriginal woman, how come you're not speaking a language? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I've recently been I fostered out, grew up in on the surrounding stations that in Allendale till I was fifteen years old and we shifted out to Todd Morden to another station. Then I started going to boarding school up in Adelaide and Portugesta. And then came back to Unidata again. Not your everyday living, but it's lifestyle for us because we're so used to being out here in, in the outback. If you used to, if you like the quietness, then uh, I recommend Unidata. My name is Mona Olson. Yeah, a few years ago, I reclaimed my name because the missionaries had changed my name to Muriel. And so that's why I am Muriel, Mona instead of Muriel, and uh, taken back my own identity, the name that my mother and father gave to me back in 1931. And so uh, in all the trauma that happened in 1936 when we were taken away by the police, my father, in the first instant, he'd taken all the camels and gone over to Western Australia on a trading trip. Therefore, Mother decided that we'd go and visit relatives in Ernabella because we lived in Nimely. So we had a, a nice evening. Kids were splashing in the spring there. And then the next morning, uh, it's all hell broke loose. The police came and took six of us, three sisters and three cousins, three of our cousins and took us to Udnadatta. And I'm the pastor, leader for Unadatta and for Unadatta Church. I had to move down to Puriesta for three years because I had a son that had 
a hole in his heart and he passed away when he was eight years old in 2004. I moved back to Unadara and I re-established a faith community church that belongs to Congress and Unadara. Frontier service used to come through. They, they never used to come through, they used to fly in. And that's when I started really believing that there was a Lord because the word was just being preached to the locals and being young at that age and I started really accepting who Jesus was and it just started growing from there. And it's just a learning process as I walk along and I'm learning how to become a preacher and how to become a minister or how to just to share the word to the listeners and that's what really caught me and learning on my own basis you know not from another preacher but having them to support me but because I used to think that I could never do that <laughs> never do that one day when I was watching Joyce Meyer it sort of like it gave me the encouragement to to share and preach the word because it's like watching her and I was like I, I can do it I believed I started believing in myself and not only that, the Lord showed me a vision and I stood on that vision all them years and and I went and told one of my good friends, Maxine, and I said, oh, Maxine, I've seen myself standing on the stage. And she said, I know, I've seen you standing up like Joyce Meyer. I said, really? <laughs> I'm not only on Joyce Meyer and I was, oh, what's his name? Oh, there's another minister that I was watching on the bus and I watched him all the way to Adelaide. <laughs> Because uh, he's so inspiring too, so I uh, can't think of his name. But I didn't have an audience when I first started off. Only just me and my dog. And his name was Trinity. And I just like praise God because, you know, I believed that there was angels around. And I stood out there, no matter, I had no audience when I first started off preaching. My seat was empty. But I, I knew I had the laws, and I had to do what I had to do, and that's why I'm here today. It took all day to get there, really, because uh, it was a mail truck, and it was delivering mail, taking on mail. Uh, but the awful part was looking back and you know, looking in the distance and just seeing our, our home disappearing in the distance and then going to who knows where. We didn't know. And uh, finally arriving at dusk in Udnadatta. A woman there speaking a strange language, greeting us, taking us into a, a strange place because we had lived in grass houses or karnku, as it is in Yankunjara, because that's who I am, a Yankunjara woman. And uh, it always, even as a child, it always seemed strange that mother wasn't welcomed into the mission house. Uh, I can understand, on the other hand, there were six distraught children, traumatised children, and uh, mother just went out in the darkness in her grief, with her grief. No one there to comfort her. Well, my first... Actual preaching was not in Unadera, it was in a community called Indokana. And 
locals from Endokra came across for a sing-along in Nundara and they seen how, what the Lord was doing in my life. So they gave me the opportunity to come to my community so you can preach there. And I was like, I don't know how to preach. <laughs> so I just like, but I took that opportunity and said, okay, here, here it goes, Lord. <laughs> I went. And as I got closer to that community, I started crying out, Lord, where are you? <laughs> and then I, two minutes later, I was standing on the stage and I was preaching the Word of God. And one of the locals videotaped it and he took us throughout the whole land and just showed him, just look what the Lord has done. He raised up somebody from Unadera to preach the Word of God to us. And he encouraged me to go out and speak, but three months later he passed on. He passed away. That was his last gift to me because he helped me get out there and show what the God-given talent I had to preach the Word of God to my mob, you know, the Aboriginal people. And that's what really helped me to become a preacher. Julius Church set up his modest, a small stage adorned with corrugated iron for backing, a scrap wood crucifix and a keyboard powered by a noisy generator, which sits in the sand and hums along to Sunday service. The fake flowers don't wilt in the searing heat, but the worshippers often do. They sit on old metal framed seats while the children seek cool refuge under the stage. It's mostly women and children who attend Julia's services, but every so often you'll see a curious gent pop his head over the fence of one of the nearby houses. And in the far corner of the church ground, away from song and prayer, lay a concrete slab, remains of a time gone by. Oh, they, um, that foundation was from the old building, old church building, that stood for the um, UAM, and missionaries run, ran that, and that foundation is shared for the stolen generation, so... The stolen generation was, um, they all came from different communities and they placed them here and that and then they put them on the train and shipped them out to Colbrook and yeah, Corn and all sad. The UAM, or United Aborigines Mission, opened the Udnadatta Children's Home in 1924. Its aim was to teach Aboriginal children about God and instil in them a Christian faith and the way to do this, according to common belief at the time, was to remove children from country, culture and family. At various times throughout its history, children from the home were transferred to other places, such as the Colebrook Homes in Eden Hills near Adelaide, or in Quorn, some 800 kilometres south of Udnadatta in the Flinders Ranges. The Udnadatta Children's Home closed in 1964, some 40 years after it first opened. And uh, we were taken inside, and then when it was time for bed, we had high beds. We weren't used to that. We were used to sleeping on the ground, close to each other, the warmth of each other's bodies, and the, and the comfort and the nearness of each other. And uh, I always count it as a wonder when you can look up and see the stars, because the stars in the desert are just so, so amazing. Uh, so clear, just like diamonds, and uh, just to think we were in a house with walls, we couldn't see out. It was too awful. And the other thing I remember about home was there was always a little fire and the embers burning until morning. 
I backslided in my life. After being young, I backslided because I was a, I was a believer, but I didn't actually go out and preach the word. I just only carried that cross and I just believed in what I could do. But at that time, I started drinking and I started you know, getting really hooked on alcohol so bad. And like I started becoming an everyday drinker. And I, as an everyday drinker, I started losing focus on who I was. And I just, I needed help in that area. I knew I couldn't do it, but I had to find that inspiration. And as I was walking in the pub, um, the Lord whispered to me and told me that you need to make a phone call to your dad. And I said, yeah, okay. And I was ignoring the Lord's warning. He told me three times to give him a call. But I forgot to make that phone call. And then my dad rang me. He rang me while I was in the pub. And he told me that he had a dream about the Lord coming to him and said, I'm going to take one of your girls tonight. And I knew it was me because he only got three girls and he had the other two. And I was the kind of person that never grew up with him, but I'm his daughter, so I knew it was me. So I had to really think about what what was my option. Let the Lord take me and... <laughs> say that I, he never knew me, or was I going to change my ways and do what I have to do. I couldn't bear that. I, I couldn't bear myself seeing my children see me like that no more. So I just decided to just let go of the can that I had in my hand and just pick up the cross and follow the Lord again. Next morning we got up, we had strange food, porridge with goat's milk. Haven't been used to bush tucker, they're totally different. And so that's how things began. And then I decided that this wasn't for me. So I took my little cousin's hand, she was four and I was five, and I said, we're gonna run back, we're gonna go home. So we started out, and then we came to fences. Didn't quite know how to get through that, but eventually we crawled through. Came to the railway line and saw this big monstrous thing coming toward us. Not having ever seen a train before, it's scary as hell. Making all that noise, you know, steam shooting up and out and... Uh, what did he think it was? The devil. the only place of safety we knew, and that was the, the mission house. And so we stayed there. And if we had gone, it was the hottest time of the year, we would have both perished. And so, because we would have had to go across the jibber plains, and if you ever come across jibber, that's you know, small stones that are in the desert, uh, iron, they're usually ironstone, and they burn. Anyway, the train came and we ran back. We ran back to the mission and stayed there until the day when we were put into that devil itself with a little grey blanket that the government gave us uh, to keep us warm on the journey. 
and then we went corn. I feel the peace, that's what I feel. That when you're in the peace and it's like, you know God's there. But when you're in a storm, you know he's there too. Because, it, you know, you've got to come through a storm to get to that peace. <laughs> so, yeah, I see him everywhere. But I, I'm just so amazed that a lot of people in Indonesia don't see him. Like, you know, he's here. But we're still stuck here. <laughs> as soon as we got there, the missionaries, because that's, that's their job, they were to teach us about God, how to read God's word, how to pray, and uh, the first psalm was 121, about lifting up your eyes to the hills where our help comes from. Your help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. But of course, how could we understand it? We were just rattling it off like little parrots, you know, just so we could go out and play. And we used to go, just the six of us would go down together, down the creek and mourn the loss of everything that was of value to us, which was counted worthless in the sight of so we would wail and weep and cut ourselves and sing the songs of our people and then the missionaries heard about it and they stopped us speaking our own language. There would always be that deep, deep longing in the heart for home. One night I was standing, crying after we'd been forbidden to speak our language, looking at the Flinders Ranges, watching the sun go down in the west and just crying my eyes out, just buckets and buckets of tears, you know, and uh, God came to me and spoke into my life and interpreted Psalm 121 to me. So I had the understanding of that. And, uh, yeah, he said that he doesn't ever slumber nor sleep, that he'd watch over me. Well, I always say that, you know, God was always in this land. And the missionaries, what they did bring to this country was just the written text. Yeah, I'm uh, the Reverend Denise Champion, and I'm an Adjumatna person from the Flinders Rangers. That's my traditional homelands. My parents always sent us to Sunday school in Quorn, a little country town called Quorn. And we attended the Methodist church. It was still the Methodist church then. And so uh, sisters and one of my brothers, we attended that little Sunday school every Sunday and it formed a good foundation for our faith, yeah. But it's our stories that I started to sit with and started to see the similarities of the Hebrew traditions, their oral traditions. And then, of course, the other stories of Israel as a nation with the first peoples here in Australia, we're still a very much an Old Testament people, They're still living in our cultural context. And you hear the stories of how landforms were created. And you know straight away that it's creational theology. 
and that there was a creator who made things. Our Aboriginal culture really does respect creator spirit as maker of all things. And we have our own names for gods and own names for maker, creator. I've started to use some of those names and started to look at our stories and see that there's a deep knowledge full of teaching and full of wisdom. It's still very relevant for today. And it's sad because you want to be a Christian, but you're Aboriginal. You get it because a lot of Aboriginal people do that to you too. They think that you believe in man, white man's way, but it's something that's inside you, and a lot of people don't understand it. Even even Aboriginal people don't understand that. They think that you know, white man said, "Let there be light," but it was God who said that. In the Bodhi Brim story, it's another Jenny dreaming story. There are two fishermen fishing in the in the lakes and they catch a big haul of fish. And as was the custom in those days, the fishermen would bring the catch back for the community to enjoy. But in this particular case, they lied to the stranger who comes and he had knowledge of their catch because they weren't willing to share and that they were concealing what they had caught, the stranger brings a word of judgment upon them. And he says, well, from now on, that fish will be full of bones, full of bones. That gentleman is like the Christ who comes and brings a word of judgment or a word into a situation and how people respond to it. The two young fellows didn't respond in a very appropriate way. I always say that our stories, because they inform us of who Christ is or where Christ is at work, I always say that it's the long, long, long memory of God in this land. Our dreaming stories contain knowledge of Creator God and they taught many lessons. You know, people learnt from listening to a dreaming story. They learnt, even as a child, learnt to respect their elders and learnt where water sources were and where food sources were. Very precious minerals. Didn't need a geological survey to do that. You just had to sit and listen to a story. It would be another 38 years before Mona returned to Udnadatta, this time a grown woman and with a husband and children of her own. She made the trip again in 2007 with other Stolen Generation survivors for a journey of healing. The Stolen Generation was coming back to Unidata to just to walk on this land again. And everywhere they went, they cried because they remembered every area where they walked when they was young. Oh, they couldn't stop crying. They came on a big 42-seater bus and I had an opportunity to write a poem and I asked the Lord to give me that poem because I wanted that part. I wanted to be that part. So I asked him and he gave me a poem and I gave it to them and it's called Missing Peace from Your Mother's Heart. And it wasn't about one person, it was about all of them because it says some was taken, some was forgotten, some, but no, some wasn't forgotten. They, they was never forgotten because they was the missing piece of their mother's heart. 
And so, you see, right throughout my life, it's been a, a story of knowing what God has forgiven me, that I need to forgive those who were part of that, that time. And the tracker would have been one of them, the police, and I had to repent and ask forgiveness of the police for, you know, bad thoughts that you have and say, you know, why did you do that? They were doing a job. But it seemed to be harder uh, in regard to the tracker because he betrayed his own. But he was also doing a job. It's the very spaciousness and the very quietness of the bush, really, that inspires me to write about spirituality in the bush. It doesn't have uh, all the distraction of the lights and the noise of traffic and even planes going overhead and things like that. So the bush allows the space for spirituality to bloom and foster, and to foster a spirituality in anyone that's there, I think. It's loneliness without really being lonely, I think. So there's nothing to get in the way of that closeness, that they can draw closer to a spirit that way. My name is Linda Sutton and uh, I'm a writer. Well, what inspired me to write this poem was a description of a mass baptism at Udnadatta where the water had to be carted in because at Udnadatta there's not very much water. And also the cathedral without bars is a place where it's a church where there are no walls, just the bare concrete base of a church. And so as you look up, you see the stars overhead. And that inspired me to write this poem. Bare, dusky, dusty feet stamping their joy in a cathedral of a thousand stars. God's heavenly lights illuminating church without walls or bars. Thralls fill the space thus created, coming from every quarter. Tasting the Spirit's power, some leap joyously into the water. A lone small boy comes a-running, one anxious to be in the swim. He's not to be denied a blessing. The water welcomes him to this cathedral without bars. Now a child of God by water and the word, he belongs where the spirit is present, in the cathedral of a thousand stars. Julia is currently in negotiations with the UAM, to have ownership of the old church ground returned to the Udnadatta community. It's her hope that one day there'll be a new church building there, enough to shelter her congregation from the harsh winds and heat, but not enough, she says, that one can't see the stars in the desert night sky. This feature was made in the studios of Radio Adelaide for the Community Radio Network with financial assistance from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. That feature is part of the 2015 National Features and Documentary Series. For more information, head to cb.org.au.